This morning we continue our study in Galatians. We're in the fifth chapter. This uh, sermon is part two. Last Sunday was part one, and we're in Galatians 5, 19 to 26. If you did not receive a worship guide, a bulletin when you came in, just raise your hand, and Lauren is right there, and he will get one. Does anybody need one? Anybody not have one? All right, very good. Galatians chapter 5. I have a question for us all this morning, and that is this. Are you led by the Spirit of God this morning? To be led by the Spirit of God is transformative in every way. Religion tries to change people from the outside in, and it's insufficient. The other side of the ditch is the rebellious person. And they, from the inside out, operate by their opinion, by their desires, by their lust, by what we looked at last week, selfishness. What is the remedy for this that we see in Scripture? It's a relationship. It's a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. What we just even sang about this morning in worship Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. Will you read this out loud with me? Last week, I have to fill you in. Some of you weren't here. The contrast is not here, okay? All right, go ahead and take us to the next screen, okay? You can watch last Sunday's sermon and you will see that more drawn out that we are to be a contrast. Read this with me. It's Ephesians 5, 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, this morning, we're moving into Galatians 5, and what are the, what's the fruit of the Spirit? And there's a contrast. In the same way that Paul writes to the Ephesians, this word, but, is there's a, there's a radical difference. When someone is drunk with wine, like I described last week, the Packer fan at, at, uh, out there you know, playing the Lions on, on Thanksgiving Day, he was under the influence of alcohol, and he didn't know what he was saying. He didn't know where he was at. He didn't know how big the people was. He was... He was talking to and taunting as they walked out after losing that day. He was under the influence and therefore he was out of control. His mouth was out of control. His eyes weren't in control. It was slow. It was slurred. Everything was delayed. But there's a contrast to somebody who is drunk and out of control under the influence of alcohol, and that is be filled with the Spirit. And if we are filled with the Spirit, there will be effects there will be a radical different way to live life, radically different. That's what Paul writes to the Ephesians. So we see as this continues, the self versus the spirit, that there's a big difference here. There's an extreme contrast. In our passage for study today, Paul, he uses the language of gardening. This morning had a little extra time And I just listened through and I read through from John 15 to John 21, just the the last part of John's gospel. In John 14, Jesus promises the comforter. He promises the gift of the spirit. John 15, he says, you have to abide in me. And without me, you can do how much, church? Nothing. So behind me is this beautiful plant right here and it has some amazing fruit on it right? It's just got, I mean, it's just amazing. And you can just come up, you know, if the kids want to come up afterwards and they can just pick the fruit. It's amazing. But here's the deal. 
no matter how much fruit we put on that tree, it's not going to make that tree alive. That fruit will, that tree will never bear fruit. If you are steeped in religion, you can look at this list, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and say, you know what? That's what I need to do. I need to add those to my life. But without the gospel, without a radical change of heart, it's like adding real fruit to a dead tree. It'll never produce fruit on its own. Paul uses the language of gardening. How many of you like to garden? Raise your hand up. Hey, let me see how many gardeners we have. Kevin, we tried it. What was that, like eight years ago? See, now here's the deal. We worked really hard on it, like one day, and then summer came, and we were gone and traveled. I would be an amazing gardener if you could just plant it all, and three months later, show back up, and the animals haven't eaten it, and the weeds haven't overtaken it, and a drought didn't hit it, and you just come back in three months later and just harvest all of the vegetables and all of the fruit, and it was just so amazing. I planted it, and here I am with my wagon and truck to load it all up. How many of you would be like, gardening, that would be for me if that was the way. Gardening is every day. You got to be out there chasing the critters away. You got to be fixing the fence. You got to be, here's the bugs and here's the thing and here's the mites and here's the, you know, it's dry. You got to water. Oh, you watered it too much. It's kind of, this is the language of scripture when it comes to relationships. And far too many of us, we try to function in our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. And we think, well, I prayed the prayer and I'll, I'll get back to it. I said the vows and, and it should just be, you know, come on. I mean, I told my wife I love her and I'm committed to her, you know, till death to us part. Shouldn't that be enough? It's like gardening. It's like gardening, beloved. So if you want a good marriage, it's a day in and day out. If you want to get to 25 years and have a vibrant, healthy marriage, it's day after day after day. And then you see people make it to 50 and make it to 60 and they've figured things out and they've worked through some difficulty and they've learned to forgive and they've learned to show grace and they've learned to not live separate lives like, like partners in business, but they've learned to show grace and forgive and engage with one another and remain in fighting for marriage instead of fighting their spouse. If you want to have a retirement, it's little by little by little. It's not showing up like, hey, if you want to be healthy, I mean, good grief. Now, I'm, now I've gone to meddling right here on the, on the guy I see in the mirror. Then we got to watch what we eat, diet and exercise, diet and exercise. And I love all those restaurants that are down there. We have to watch these things. You can't just get to, you know, where we are now. I'm like, I'm going I'm to get serious about my health. We reap in our 80s what we sow in the 40s, right? So it is in our relationships. And this is what the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, is focusing our attention on. And 2,000 years ago, the Galatian churches, were, they were fighting. There were the false teachers that were coming in, but what Paul is dealing with when he moves into the fruit of the Spirit it appears that in the churches, there are those who were, were, they were starting to throw down. They were starting to argue. They were starting, there was contention and division and all this going on. And Paul is saying, you're not right either. What is the fruit of the Spirit? They were in danger of biting and devouring one another like wild beasts. 
Follow along there in your Bibles. Galatians 5, verse 18 is where I'll begin uh, this morning. But if you are led by the Spirit, okay, so verse 16, walk by the Spirit. Verse 18, if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Okay, so there's freedom here. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident. And this is what we looked at last Sunday by way of review. If you can just pull up, uh, we we looked at these uh, elements last Sunday. The church that stands firmly in grace together will expose the works of the flesh. And these are the works of the flesh that we saw last week. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, Sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do, those who practice, those, their habit of life, their trajectory, their direction in life, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So last week we saw, expose the works of the flesh. That's what a church that stands firmly in grace together, together we expose the works of the flesh. And as we move through this, the summary of this from last week, there was a warning and he says, recognize clearly these sins of selfishness, The works of the flesh, there were sexual sins, religious sins, relational sins, and sins of indulgence. And Paul, in these bookends, all right, religious people, we we can really do well at going after the people with the sexual sins and and the immoral people of the world and and sins of indulgence and the people are out there and those, and we can, but Paul really focuses the weight on those two middle ones, sins of religion and in relationships are social sins. And he flatlines it where we think these are really bad, but my envy, my lack of ability to forgive, to go, to work things out with someone else, that's not that bad. I'm not as bad as them. And Paul spends the lion's share of his time dealing with people who are in the church. So timely. So he says things like these. And then he says, respond humbly in repentance. So identify and then respond humbly in repentance. First, I have to respond myself. Letting the scripture, letting the word of God, the spirit of God work in me, then urge others to heed this warning. Martin Luther, when he posted the 95 thesis on the door, this is his first thesis. He said, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he intended that the entire life of believers should be repentance. It's not just when we come to salvation, but that at all, every day, all the time that we are first evaluating and let God by his spirit evaluate my heart, my motives, because we're really good at going to everybody else and say, well, if you, you know, if my spouse will, will fix their things, then I, well, if that church member would, then I, if they, if my child, then I, if my boss, then I, ah, uh, no, 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 that's not Christian. That's human, that's carnal, that's fleshy, that's worldly. Spiritual life is marked by, first of all, I preach the gospel to my own heart. I put it in practice here first before the Lord, and then I bring 
out of a heart that is humble and contrite before the Lord. I want others to heed this warning. Secondly, we see experience the fruit of the Spirit. And this is where our, our reading picks up in verse 22. But, now that's a strong word there. It's a contrast. Uh, this is but... The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of God. This morning, we pick up right here, okay? So a church that stands together in grace, yes, we expose the works of the flesh, but we will always keep in mind, it doesn't start with us being fruit inspectors of everybody else. It starts with evaluating the person that we see in the mirror every morning. That's where we begin, and if we stand together in grace, then Paul says the church will experience the fruit of the Spirit. This isn't going to be that we heard about this in the, in the churches of Philippi. We heard about this in the churches of Colossae. We've heard about this in the church down the road. This is, going, this is normative life for the child of God for the people of God in the church, that when the Spirit of God works in a person, radical change happens. Didn't we just sing that this morning? That lives are changed, that miracles can happen. What is a miracle? It's something that cannot be done humanly, but that we do what we do, and that's we pray, we invite, we urge, we are humble ourselves, we are contrite and penitent ourselves, and then we invite others, we urge others, but God has to open blind eyes. God has to. Remember when Jesus was standing at Lazarus' tomb? He said, roll the stone away. You can do that. Uh, he's been dead four days. Do what he says. And then God in Christ, he did what only God can do. Lazarus, come forth. And then what did Jesus do? Take his grave clothes off him. You can do that. You can't make the dead man live but you can open up the door and you can take that, those, those grave clothes off. His life is changed. This is the life-giving God. He changes everything. We become, as God works in, in us, as God works through us, as God works for us, beloved, by the Holy Spirit, we become the people our spirit-renewed hearts want to be. Let me ask you this morning, is there something in you that says, I'm not all that I should be yet? Is that an honest assessment that you can give over your own heart and life? I'm not finished yet. I think that was one of the first songs I got in trouble singing when I was a kid. He's still working on me. And I wasn't singing. I was, you know, goofing off in the children's choir. And I think my mom's near laser eyes were like, you know, burning a hole. And when that was all done, I was like, I got, got in some serious pastor kid trouble for that, right? He's still working on me. I can't even remember the rest of the song. Not what I ought to be. You know, something like that, right? I should have been paying attention. I wasn't. But it's a work in progress, like Philippians 1.6, he will finish 
what he begins in us. So there's something in us that's longing for home. There's something in us that's longing to be what we were created to be, but on our own and of our own will and of our own power, we can't get there. But he's working that in us. Tim Keller identifies four aspects about how the Spirit works in producing fruit in the believer's life. And he says it this way, in four ways. First way is gradually, all right? The Spirit of God is growing fruit in us gradually. So for some of us impatient folks, we go out, we plant the seed. Your kids ever go with you in gardening? And how many days do they wait to go check and see if anything's coming up? It's like the next morning. There's nothing growing, Nothing growing. And then after what? Maybe a week, depending on the weather, pokes through a little green sprout in the dirt. Like, oh, yes, you know? But you gotta wait. The Spirit of God working in the child of God, this process is a gradual process. And for those of us in the room who are impatient, we want it, we want it done now. We want the microwave. Let's, let's get it done. And, and, and how many times do we, you know, we have to go through these? And, and it, God is working in us in this process of the Spirit bearing fruit in our lives. It's a gradual process. It's an inevitable process. If you and I belong to Christ we will bear fruit. That's what Jesus said. The soils, the parable of the soils, and the soil that bore fruit, the good soil, it bore fruit in different amounts. There was different levels of abundance of how the soil would bear fruit. You will bear fruit. The Spirit of God will bear fruit in your life in time. And you can trust him for that. It's an internal work. You can't see it happening. If you look at plants and you look at it the next day and you look at it, it's like, is anything happening? It is happening. I mean, I think I have at least a thousand squirrels around our house and they are planting the acorns everywhere. They're like mini miniature rototillers everywhere drilling, you know, working, 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 working. What do we know? In time, those acorns begin to grow and they'll grow right next to the foundation of your house where the squirrel planted it, hiding it. And if you don't get that oak tree out of this close to your foundation over time, it's going to relocate your foundation, your walls, right? But you didn't see it happen right away. Didn't seem like that much right away, but you let it go in time. Anybody have a tree and it puts its roots out there under the sidewalk out in your house? That's how I mess my back up. Because over time, the roots just continued growing and you couldn't see them growing under the surface until it took the sidewalk and it went and just broke it and pushed it up. And then Mr. I, you know, I saw you laughing at me, clapping my hands this morning. I shovel snow the same way. Everything I do, I'm going to do it all in. And there I went and ripped apart my back. And that was because that gradual process of the tree root lifted that concrete and it just raised it up until my shovel met it. And my back couldn't handle the force of which I was shoveling. So it goes. It's a gradual process. It's an inevitable process. It's an internal process. And this is this final, it's, it's symmetrical. Okay, so when we see that Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, he doesn't say fruits of the Spirit. It'll, it'll come up symmetrical. And so what happens is, is as God bears fruit in us by his Spirit, it isn't that I'm really abounding in love. I just have no kindness. 
and I have no peace, and I have no patience, I have no gentleness, but man, I'm just really doing well in love. No, it's all or nothing. You're either a child of God and you belong to him and his spirit is in you, all of his spirit, or you're not and you don't have a spirit and you have nothing to do with God. But if I am in Christ, if you are in Christ, then we can trust the Lord that this is what he is doing in us. And so when he talks about the works of the flesh, that's my doing, that's our doing, envy, jealousy, biting, devouring, sexual sins, religious sins, social sins, sins of indulgence. Those are what we do. When fruit is born, when you serve the Lord with joy and in patience and forbearing with others and you love the unlovable and you forgive and you just give it over to God, that's his working in you and we just get the benefits of it. We take the responsibility, we plant the seed, but there's nothing you can do to make the seed grow. You can't make it grow faster. It's going to grow because in its DNA is life. It will bear fruit. And if you belong to God, so will you. So this is a helpful evaluation for all of us because we're not expecting everybody else's fruit. We're asking God by his spirit, evaluate my life. What's happening in here? But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. So let's look at these this morning. Life in the spirit will bear good fruit. All right, will bear good fruit. It will bear fruit. Unlike this tree right here, this thing will never bear fruit, okay? Just a complete sham. It's a complete gimmick. It's not for real. You have to put fruit on it. So it is with somebody who does not belong to God. They can sing the songs. They can dress the part. They can join a church. They can do church things. They can serve in various ways. But sooner or later, they're like, yeah, I'm out. Too much. Too much cost. When the Spirit bears fruit in us, then it's not like this fruit, okay? I mean, I took a bite out of that thing. What, by the end of the sermon, that's going to start getting really brown. If we leave this thing sit here until next week, it's not going to last. You ever find fruit hidden in your house somewhere that you forgot about? The banana's up in the cupboard or the fruit somewhere or in a drawer, and you pull it out and it rotted? Think about kiwis. What in the world? You try to, like, not ripe, not ripe, not ripe. Oh, I missed the five minutes when it was ready to eat, and now it's rotten and squishy. You know what I'm saying? Like, what in the world? As the Spirit of God bears fruit in you, in us together, this fruit lasts. Now, this is not the fruits, the, the, the gifts of the Spirit, all right? The, the Spirit gifts believers. There are different types of gifts. There's plurality there. The gifting that God has given me, has given you, is different. This is fruit, and it's not fruits of the Spirit. It's fruit of the Spirit. It's singular. He, he uses this term, he's fruit. It's a, it's a package deal. The first one in, this, in revealing the character and the nature of God at work in us is love. The Greek word is agape. 
It's the foundational attribute that supports the rest of the graces. And you can read of that, Colossians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We've done it before, where instead of saying, here's the list of what you should do, you can put Christ's name in there. Jesus is patient. Jesus suffers long. Jesus is kind. And none of us can come up with any of this on our own, of our own resources. We need this from outside of us to come into us. And this is what the gospel does, which is different than religion. It's knowing Christ. It's repentance and faith in Jesus. Agape love is a love by choice. It's grounded in the nature and the character of God, that he loved you, not for what you would do for him. Not for how much is in your portfolio. He loved you simply because he loved you. It was of his own will that he brought us forth, that God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is the highest form of love. This word is a very Christian word because it's not normal. It's not human. It's not selfish. It's selfless. That God is love. And we love him, John would write, because he first loved us. Beloved, if we get love right, then everything else will mature into place. All of the rest of this list. If we get love wrong, then everything else is tainted by the works of the flesh. Agape love means to serve a person for their good because they possess intrinsic worth, not for selfish reasons and what they bring to you. Does that describe how you love people? If someone lets you down, do you stop loving them and stop serving them? That is a work of the flesh. A work of God is a love that is rooted and grounded in the nature and character of God himself. The next one is joy. Some of you have named children or you have people in your family. Kara. Joy. That's the Greek word. Okay, nothing kills happiness. Nothing kills joy. Like self-righteous, religious people inspecting everybody else. You didn't do what I think. You don't measure up. And here's my standards. And in, in this, these churches of Galatia, just stealing joy. We will purposefully enter into God's presence with singing. As Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And let me ask you this. What do you have in this life that gives fullness of joy, overflowing joy that never ends? A new car with an alarm? Children? Oh, love our kids. They never let you down. You never let them down. Fullness of joy. Pleasures that never end is found in the presence of the Lord. The next one is peace. Irene, 
know somebody maybe named Irene. Peace. While the world is characterized, yes, right now, but it always has been by turmoil. Another week of great turmoil and wars and unrest. But the lives of people who are filled with the Spirit of God are characterized by peace. And understand, with each of these, this is now outworking. This is the, each of the fruit of the Spirit. It's impacting other people. It's what is on display. It's not necessarily that, yes, pastor, I believe in the love of God. Yes, I believe in the joy and I have peace with God, but I can't stand them. I don't get along with them. I can't forgive them. My relationships are marked by silence and severing, but, oh, don't worry about me. I have peace with God. And I can even say that real spiritually, peace with God. But I cut off people that I you know, they failed me and they don't keep the morals the way I do and they don't keep relationships the way I do so I just cut them off. A right relationship with God is displayed through our peacefulness with other people. So if Peter writes, 1 Peter 3, 8 through 12, and he says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you are called that you may obtain a blessing. Do you think of it this way, that when someone wrongs you and you bless them, you are called to bless them. That's where the blessing is because that's where it's by the spirit of God that we are now operating, not by you offended me, so I'm done with you. And he quotes the Old Testament, for whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So if someone says, I just can't do that, the face of the Lord is set up against that person. And just like Paul warned them, and he said, and I'm warning you again, those who are characterized by works of the flesh, you have no part in the kingdom of God. And Peter says, if you simply excuse your own stubbornness, then the face of the Lord is against you. It's a strong warning. Seek peace. Pursue it. The opposite of peace is indifference. It's apathy toward others. The relationships were probably in these Galatian churches just broken. People are like, I don't care. We used to worship together. Now I don't care. I'm not going to talk to you. I don't care about you anymore. Life goes on. No loss to me. And treated these situations and people that profess to be indwelt by the Spirit of God that we're going to spend all eternity with in heaven if we belong to the Spirit of God, but there's no fruit of the Spirit. This is where the Scripture is saying, hold up. Let's do a checkup. Let's evaluate this. Did God do that to us when we wronged Him? When we still sin? Does he draw away from us? I'm not talking to you anymore. Or did Jesus, like he did with the woman at the well, go and sit down and run after her and say, actually, we need to talk about something. Go get your husband.
she said, I don't have a husband. He said, you answered rightly. You've had five, and the one you're living with now isn't your husband. He didn't say that to her in disgust. He said that to her in love. And in a few moments, she left saying, the one we've been waiting on. Hey, everybody, do you think this might be him? And the whole town came running. There was something different about his way of speaking. It was peaceful. Patience. Macrothrumia is the Greek word. It's the word, it's also translated long-suffering. You can get the idea of long-suffering. Suffers long. Carries the idea of forbearing with others even when extremely annoyed, bothered, tried. Patience is slowness in avenging wrongs. It's persevering through adversity, even when you're rejected, but you're fixing your eyes on Jesus. You're reminded of the patience of the Lord toward us that Peter wrote of in 2 Peter 3.9, that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is, and here's the word, patient toward you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And let me ask us, beloved, does that describe you in relationships that you are long-suffering? That you don't have a short fuse with people, but that you go the distance and even further because the Spirit of God has worked in you. That's what he has done for us. How do we respond to trouble in our relationships? Do we blow up? Do we act out? Raise our voices? Go quiet? Not talking to you more. I'm done. This conversation's over. There may be time when needed to let me think through what's being said. Let me. Let me pray about it. Let me get alone. Let me think about this and let's come back this evening. Let's come back in a little bit and let's talk about this. That might be helpful, but that's not isolated. It's not turning your back on someone. There are appropriate times, beloved, in our lives that if somebody is being destructive, that we take a step back from them. We say, I'm right here. I'm reaching toward you. My life is not going to go down because of you. You're not going to drag me down into your sin, but I love you. Say what you will about me. I'm right here. I haven't left you. That's very different than saying, you know what? You've offended me for the last time and I turn my back on you and I walk away from you. God does that when to a child of his? Anybody know the answer to that? Never. So then how would someone with the spirit of God in them ever do this? And the people of God not say, hold up, what are you doing? You remember Paul warned the Galatians and he warned them again. And do you remember that Peter gave the strong word against that behavior because it's anti-Christ? Don't dwell there. Don't stay there. Don't pitch your tent there. Patience. 
whatever comes out of us, beloved, we like to try to blame it on, well, you, and you did that, but it really reveals what is in here. That's why it's so humbling. When we're close to people in relationships, when we're close to people in small group, then we're going to see brokenness and we're going to see that we don't have it all together, but grace is for that. Grace abounds in that. And we can be honest with one another and we're going to forbear with one another. We're going to be patient with one another because this is actually the gospel. This isn't religion where we fake, we're all fine and great and it's all wonderful and we sing really beautifully, but inside is filled with dead men's bones. Patience, kindness, kindness, Christotes. You can hear in there that the Messiah, Christos, the suffering servant, the anointed one, Christotes is the word. Let me ask you, are you a kind person? Have you experienced the kindness of God toward you? That as Romans 2 and verse 4 says, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And when we think about treatment of others, I'm not talking about just our actions. Beloved, God sees our motives. He sees our hearts. He sees what we think about other people. Would that be described as spirit born or as a work of the flesh in how we think about people who do us wrong? that we disagree with? Can we serve others in a way that makes us very vulnerable because our sufficiency truly rests in God and we really don't need any approval from anyone else because we've already been approved by God? So whether it comes back or not in applause or in thanks or in presence, being there with someone, we have everything from God. Our supply is from Him and so we can show kindness. The counterfeit alternative is doing good deeds to manipulate others. Look at what I'm doing. I'll post a picture. See, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Look, it's all great. And I show that and I project that out to manipulate others so that I can feel a sense of goodness, so that I can feel a sense of worthiness toward God and toward others. And, and I can get likes for what I'm doing, but is that really the disposition? And if it gets difficult or someone doesn't receive that, is my approval connected to their approval or disapproval? This is kindness to the core. Are you a kind person? Would your family say you're kind? An outworking of is next is goodness. Goodness is, okay, so you really didn't reserve my kindness, but I treated you with kindness because the Spirit of God is bearing this fruit in me. And goodness is I'm actually looking for a way to bless my enemy. I'm not just going to sit back. I'm going to actually look for a way to pray for them, to bless them, to serve them, to be there for them. And if you've been in the church long enough, you've had relationships and strains and things come and go, but oh, the people that do this. At the first opportunity, they show goodness. They give blessing to the one that, whatever the situation may be, this is the fruit of the Spirit. Agatha Sune is the word. Maybe you know someone, her name is Agatha. 
It's uprightness of heart and life. This is integrity to the core. It's the same person in every situation, whether the people are clapping or whether the people are boo, you're the same person. Whether they talk to you or they don't talk to you, whether they like you or don't like you, whatever the situation, you're the same person. I'm here. I'm broken. The Lord is patient with me. Be patient with you. And in any opportunity, I'll show you goodness because that's what's been shown to me. This is not human. This is being intentional about being good. This is not just getting the truth out there. I, I'm just going to get this off my chest and I'm, I speak the truth. That's what I do and I just keep it real. That's what I do because, no, 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 that's not what it is. When you have conversations with other people, is it for their good or to get it off your chest? Is it for their blessing and advancement in the kingdom of God or is it for you to feel better and justified? You can check the box. I did what I was supposed to do. There. They didn't listen to me. I talk to my kid and there it is. Whatever, whatever the relationship is. Beloved, everything we say must be true, but not everything that is true must be said. There are times when we can give things over to the Lord and not have to go after everybody for everything. Uh, you know you and you know you. To, to the one who judges, there's no mercy. Judgment is without mercy. And mercy, the Bible says, triumphs over judgment. So if we're going to stand firm in grace together, we need to be merciful people. Faithfulness. Pistis is the Greek word. It's, an, yes, an orthodox belief in God, but it's an orthodoxy that hits real life in a faithfulness and a dependableness, uh, dependability with uh, other believers in the life of the church. You're reliable. It's not here one minute, gone the next. I'm all in and then disappeared. This is a reliable, faithful, steady follower of Christ, friend of the people of God, the one who's faithful in little things, entrusted with greater. The fruit of faithfulness is displayed in abiding joy, serving Christ by serving others in the church. The opposite of faithfulness is a fair-weather friend. Anybody have a fair-weather friend? They're a friend with you as long as everything goes their way, and if it doesn't go their way, the Puritan call, Puritans call them swallow friends. They come in in the good weather and they leave when the weather changes. Gentleness. Gent gentleness. Preotes. It's a word, it's translated meekness. It's not weakness. It's strength under control. Jesus wasn't weak. He was meek. Kids loved being around Jesus. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. Does that describe you? Are you gentle? And the last fruit is self-control. Self-control. And kratia, it's the opposite of the sins of indulgence, is being self-controlled. It's temperance. It's the ability to pursue the important over the urgent fruit of the Spirit is displayed as we're no longer mastered by our feelings and no longer mastered by our desires, but instead we're filled by the Spirit. Like we read in Ephesians 5.18, the counterfeit of self-control 
biblically is willpower. Just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set these goals and I'm going to, oh, there's my goals and I'm going to have more love and I'm going to have more joy and more peace and more patience. That's what I'm going to do, Pastor. I love that message. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work more of that. I'm going to do more of that. That's what that is. It's just trying to put fruit on a dead tree. You got to go back to the square one. Do I belong to the living God? Is the spirit of the living God that raised Christ from the dead in me? If he is in me, then this will be abiding, growing, enduring in me. And my heart and my affection and my desires have all been radically changed. And I want this in my life. And I humbly say, God, I can't have any of this apart from you. I can't do any of this. So do it in me. Work this in me. You work in me. Your will for your good pleasure. And life in the spirit will abound in freedom. Okay, this kind of life is characterized by freedom because the child of God is now not under the law of I have to do all those things and the pastor put all nine of them. I had to write all nine of them in the blank and my hand is cramping now and I need an IV because I'm so famished, you know, it's just too much. If we understand who God is and what he has done in us, these, this is born in us and we are free. This is what we want to do and then we're hit with, I can't do that on my own. But then we hear, but he does that in me and we rejoice and we participate in this work. We are free as children of God. So we expose the works of the flesh. We experience the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And then the last sign, the last, last mark of a church that stands together is we will exemplify the power of gospel, calm unity. And I broke it all down to get the point this is the so what. This is the practical application. It's not just in our name because we couldn't think of anything better in the second spot. Grace, mm, community. This is the work of the gospel that changes the group of people and the display that goes to our families and our children here in this body and out. It looks like this. Or does it? We have to ask these questions. There's a huge contrast between those who belong to Christ Jesus and those who, verse 21, do such things, works of the flesh. You either do works, whether they're religious works or rebellious works, or you belong to Christ. Do you hear the difference? Here's what I do, and I don't do those things, and I do these, and I'm I, 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 whatever it is, rebellion or religion. And then there's the believer's claim I belong to Jesus. I turned from my sin and I cried out to the living God, have mercy on me, rescue me. I have nothing but sin, nothing but shame. Do a miraculous supernatural work in me and I plead the blood and I need Jesus and he saved me and adopted me and now I'm a joint heir with Christ. His spirit lives in me and suddenly I'm seeing fruit happen and I want more of it. And so as I draw near to the Lord and as I spend time in his work, Word, and as I'm with his people and I'm in prayer, I see fruit growing up in me and I want that for everyone around me. It's a radically different way to live. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, verse 24, Paul uses a strong term, have crucified the flesh. 
If you crucify something, that's a graphic term. It's a horrific term. Remember Galatians 2.20, Jamie preached it. I am crucified with Christ. So at salvation, crucified with Christ. However, the believer is crucifying the flesh because that living sacrifice always wants to crawl off the altar. King me always wants to rear its ugly head in my heart and in my life. So we crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. We belong to Jesus. We belong to Christ Jesus. We are not our own. We have nothing to bring to God that he needs or desires. So we can freely admit where we have felt, knowing that our righteousness is not our own. It's from Christ. We belong to Christ Jesus. Now look at the terminology, all right? As we exemplify the power of gospel community, it's going to come right here, we you see how he switched now? It's community. Paul is putting himself with those Galatian Gentile believers. We belong to Christ. We are in the same family. Now it's plural. We're in this together. We belong to Christ Jesus. Therefore, we belong to each other. See, if Christ is the head of his church and we're part of his church, then he absolutely, without a doubt, expects us to work it out amongst ourselves. I've had to have that conversation as a father. You're my daughters. You will work it out. You will sit down because we're a part of a family and this is, this is how it's going to be. Figure it out. Show kindness. Work it out. So it is in a church. We belong to Christ. That means we belong to each other. We're, we're stuck with each other. We're not going anywhere. Here, look around. This is us. This is the family of God. He put us together. We belong together. So since we belong to him, we belong to each other. We have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So we think about this, not just for salvation, but for all of life. Ask this question. When you start thinking about crucifying the the, the sins of the flesh, these selfishness, sexual sins, religious sins, social sins, sins of indulgence, and you start, you start thinking, why do I want whatever it is? Each of us are different. I, I want that relationship. I want this thing. I want that place. I want this feeling. I want this. What, why do you want whatever it is? We can easily look, and this becomes idolatry, to all types of things and even people as if they will satisfy us or they will vindicate us. They will demonstrate, see, I've arrived. If, if, if we build a new building and we have seven services and we have a thousand people, then I'll be validated. You're a great pastor. Nonsense. You can pastor a half a million people and not receive the approval of God and you can be faithful with 50 and to be simply okay and, and know that my sufficiency is from Christ, that's all I need because it's the fruit of the Spirit. That's all you need in your relationships. So we sing the song, if I have you, I have how much? Everything. If you don't have Christ, you have nothing. How do you know if you have Christ or not? Look at the fruit of the Spirit, all of it. Do you see it in your life? Do you hunger for that in your life? Is it growing in your life? These are the helpful questions. And not only do we belong to Christ Jesus, we have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We don't love it. We don't justify it. We don't excuse it. We hate it. We live by the Spirit. The life of the Spirit ought to characterize the life of every single church family. 
We've been given life. We live by the Spirit. Is our, is our, our lives characterized by the Spirit of God? That's the question that Paul is putting to the Galatians. Think about how you're talking. Think about how you're acting in relationships. Think about how you treat other people. This is where it goes away from, I love you, Lord, and I can't stand you. The scripture says phony. Hypocrisy. That's not gospel community. That's selfishness. The world is revolving around you. Run from that. Run to the light. So Paul says, and look how he says this. He says, so let us. It's an invitation that he gives. Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This is a positive. This is an active process. This is a military term. All right, some of you were in the military. You know, I see, you know, quickly Eric and, and Richard. I know other guys were as well, or ladies too. They didn't allow you to be like, attention, line up, formation, march. What are you doing? Oh, I, I just love Andy Griffith. I love that show, and I just figured I'd bring that. I'm trying to cheer everybody up. That's not going to fly. It's the idea of we're in step. We're taking our cues from somebody and we all look like we are in this together and we are, whoo, you know, I can't even do it. So I'm not even gonna try, right? We're in step. And where are we getting our cues from? The spirit of God. Keep in step with the spirit. Let us not. Now he goes back and he bookends this with a, a warning, an invitation away from a negative. Let us not. Don't be conceited. Don't provoke each other. Don't envy one another. To become conceited is, I want the glory from me. It's vainglory. It's self-glory. It's all about me. And if you don't do what I want, you don't sing my song, you don't do the thing my way, then I'm out of here. Paul's saying, let us not. No, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't go that way. Don't, and here it is, stir up one another. The idea of, I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you. I'm stirring up. I'm constantly coming up with contention and divisiveness and, and working, and I've always got a problem to be worked out. Don't, don't do that. Let us not do that. That is the work of the flesh. Don't do that. Don't envy one another. Now we're right back to that sin that's so deep in us of jealousy. And what about them? And why did they get advanced? And they have good health and I'm sick again. And why did they get the promotion? And I, um, I'm back on unemployment again. And how'd this happen? And why is this? And why? All of these things are he saying, let us not. Come on, you are accepted in the beloved. If you are in Christ, you have everything you, should, you ever need for all eternity. Your fruit isn't going to last for just a little while. You, the fruit that he bears in and through your life is going to last for all eternity eternity. Oh, this is, this is where we ought to live. Expose the works of the flesh. Experience the fruit of the Spirit. And exemplify the power of gospel community. And as we think about, these will come up on the screen, as we think about these, this is the questions that we have to ask ourselves. If we're going to stand together in grace firmly, what areas need improvement in the person sitting next to you? Does that sound wrong? Yes. It is wrong. What areas here need to be addressed in my heart? And as you gather in small groups, 
We're honest before the Lord. We love one another and we say so. How can we work together on this? How can we encourage one another in this? How can we pray for one another in this? How can we be gardeners instead of fruit inspectors? God invites you into this. If you don't know Christ, I invite you today. Trust him. You can't go anywhere else to find never-ending joy that is the greatest joy ever known to man. It's found in Christ. Church family, what's your next step? You look at the list, you look at your notes, you look at the text, and with every message, you have to say, is that what the Bible says? What's my right response to that living word of God? Respond in obedience. Let's stand together. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your church. We thank you for Jesus who shed his blood so that we could be forgiven and we could have mercy. That he laid down his life so that we could go free. Not one of us here are worthy, but to those who have turned from their sin and trusted in you, you have made us acceptable in the beloved. We are in Christ. You have clothed us in righteousness that is not our own. So Father, we pray that you will help us as a people to expose the works of the flesh and we begin internally by your spirit. You work in us, Lord. Let us encourage others and let us experience the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives personally, in our families and in this church family. And we pray this upon all of our mission partnerships, Lord, around the world, that they will experience not just religious settings and services and meetings, but absolutely the power of God, knowing that the Spirit of God is here in this place and meeting with us and turning over rocks in our hearts and in our lives where under is sin and ugliness and hiddenness and you know it's there and you love us anyway and so we're able to be loved by you and we're able to love one another and forgive one another and pursue one another and come out of shadows and come out of hiding and go into relationships that are authentic and real and humble and Christ-like and then Father let us exemplify this the Spirit of God through you this isn't something that we do this is what you do in and through us so that those who come into contact with our lives they see the light they taste the saltiness of the gospel the goodness of God in Christ and they say what's different about you and why do you have this hope and how can I know that my sins are forgiven and that heaven is my home and be brought into a family made up of all people from all tribes, all tongues, all nations. How can I know this God? And you will use us in a powerful way when we are filled by your spirit, when we are led by your spirit, when we are living by your spirit. Oh God, so let us keep in step with your spirit. And that will put us in step with one another. So break our hearts and build us up in holiness and in righteousness so that we will be your hands and your feet and taking your message to every person, Lord. Use us today and use us for as long as you give us breath. In Jesus' name and for his glory alone, amen.